This episode of the DLU podcast is brought to you by Goalie Nutrition. As someone who's used Goalie for quite some time, I can tell you that they're not only very good, but they're very beneficial. My favorite are the Super Green Gummies. The Super Green Gummies are uniquely crafted with a spectrum of essential nutrients such as vitamins A, B12, folic acid, and theamine. It supports a healthy liver function, healthy nervous and immune system, digestive health, a boost to your metabolism, and overall health and well-being. There are no artificial sweeteners, flavors, or colors from artificial sources. They're vegan-friendly, gluten-free, and gelatin-free. All loyal listeners of the DLU podcast get a special 10% discount at checkout. Go to Goalie.com, use promo code D-L-E-W. That's Goalie.com, use promo code D-L-E-W. This podcast is a Believe Network and Luciete production. Welcome to another edition of the DLU Podcast, brought to you by Believe Network. I'm your host, Garrett T. Lewis, and I hope the week is treating you all amazing. And I'm um, looking forward to the remainder of the summer and what it brings. I'm really excited about next Friday because Espacion is coming. My latest single with Angie Stars, Espacion, will be out worldwide on several platforms. So make sure that you go to my bio and hit the pre-save option so you can have it in your AirPods, earbuds, whatever, however you listen to music, in your cars, wherever, DJs, you name it, hit me up. But, you know, this past Saturday, I was at uh, the Mazda Factory's Evolution of Champions event, you know, doing my ring announcer thing. It was so cool to, you know, be be around the guys and the girls. And um, shout out to Gabby Ortiz and uh, Royal Money, who actually stopped by too. Uh, Royal was a guest a few months ago on the show, and um, that was um, a fun interview to do. I hope we can uh, get Royal back on the show at some point. But, you know, Brett Waters did retain the uh, Monster Factory Championship in a gauntlet match. He had to face, he, you know, he ended up uh, being in a really good position. I think he came out uh, third in that gauntlet match, and, you know, he was able to edge out, you know, his opponents to retain the championship. So I'm interested to see where things head, you know, for uh, Mr. Waters, you know, going into September, going into the fall, so to speak. But, you know, as I'm recording this, August 16th, you guys know I'm a big Madonna fan, and today is her 65th birthday. I cannot believe that this woman is 65 years old and is still going, still going. I know she had a recent uh, scare, a little health scare, you know, uh, recently. Um... I think it was a bacterial infection or something like that, and you know it was it was pretty scary. But I'm glad she's on you know, she's on the other side of it now. And she just announced yesterday that she's redoing um, a lot of the dates for her 40th anniversary celebration tour. And I cannot wait to see her perform on stage once again in a sold out arenas because I know the last tour she did it was very intimate, maybe some 2,000 to like 3,000 seat theaters. But you know this tour, you know she's going back to arena so i'm looking forward to seeing her perform but speaking of madonna uh this week's guest um is an honor but truly an honor to have this gentleman on the show he was her principal dancer for two of her tours the blonde ambition tour in 1990 and the girly show tour in 1993 the one and only carlton wilborn and we talk about 
you know, the early days of growing up in Chicago, how he got into dance, how he got the audition for the Blonde Ambition Tour, and what he's doing today. Let's not wait any longer. My interview with Carlton Wilborn starts right now. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is an honor for me. As um, for those that know or don't know, I'm probably one of the biggest Madonna fans you'll ever you'll ever meet or know. And this gentleman that I'm interviewing is a legend. He is a legend. He was the principal dancer in Madonna's Blonde Ambition Tour and the Girly Show Tour. He was also one of the stars of her documentary, Truth or Dare, and the most recent documentary that came out seven years ago called Strike a Pose. And we're going to talk about that and so much more. The one and only Carlton Wilborn. Thank you so much for coming out to the Dilu podcast. How are you? Thank you, sir. I'm fantastic. How are you on this Thursday? I'm doing great, man. Thank you for asking. I definitely appreciate it. This is, um, like I said, this is a truly an honor for me to, you you know, taking the time out of your extremely busy schedule to uh, make your way to the DLU podcast. But every story has, oh, no doubt, no doubt. So every story has its beginning. And um, you grew up in the the Windy City in Chicago. So talk about life growing up in Chicago. Yeah. Um, So that's, you know, it's funny because I've been out here in Los Angeles now for, 34 years june 7th is when i arrived here yeah okay and so it's always funny when i say that to people and and they're like oh so you're from la i'm like no i still say i'm from chi town (laughs) because that's what taught me how to know how to be a man in the world right so that's where i'm from right and so yeah man i grew up on the south side you know came from a family we didn't have a whole lot i'm the baby of five Okay. Mom and dad, mom bought our house, you know, so I came from a lineage of very strong women. Same here, man. Mm -hmm. Took hold of their own things. Yes. And um, yeah, and I was the baby and I was spoiled. Yes, I was. (laughs) (laughs) Truth be told, I was a mama's boy. Yes, I was. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, there's some benefits that come with that, right? So I'm I'm the baby. There's two girls at the top and then two boys. So you get to learn from all that, right? And I think that uh, being the baby and going through growing up on the South Side, which is a little bit crazy, and mm-hmm. you know there was some wild stuff happening inside of my family structure, and so I was always a little bit on the edge. You know, I was a young dude who was causing fights and doing recess and having my buddies push me into dudes so I could rip their shirt and fuck them up. And like, yeah, I, I was that. <laughs> oh no. Carlton Wilborn was no joke. Yeah. I was known for causing fun. Like I was, I was a street dude like that. Like I really was, it was bad. Um, but anyway, so I say all that to say it gave me the sort of gave me the meat to know how to like fight at life, you know, and mm-hmm. when life gets challenging. And so, I don't know, man. I, I I came from all that. Me and my brothers used to dance around in the living room. I guess being the Jackson Five and who was Michael, you know. And uh, then you know, cut to like I've shared often. You know, somehow I don't really know how my brother, my oldest brother, came up with this idea, but he got us a job when I was thirteen years old teaching. Kitty disco lessons at bar mitzvahs on Saturdays. 
Really? Downtown at a spot called Dingbats. That on the weekends was a throwdown, grown folks, whatever, whatever. Yeah. On Saturday afternoons, on the weekends, on Saturdays, they had bar mitzvahs. And so it was our job to teach them like the bus stop and the hustle. And then we would perform something. I have no idea where he got this idea from or where he even found out about that job. It's crazy. And so that's where, you know, it all started. And then I joined a magnet high school because of some events that were going on in my family structure. And lo and behold, I joined a pro company, Hubbard Street Dance. Well, now it's called Hubbard Street Dance Chicago. It was called Hubbard Street Dance Company when right. I joined them. I was 17 years old at the time. But you know what? I got to Whitney Young Magnet High School when I was 14. Mm -hmm. Things in Florida didn't work out. I got to Whitney Young Magnet High School, taking classes there, got into what was the very first dance company called Guys and Dolls in high school. My dance partner was an incredible woman who's now doing incredible things on the East Coast. Gina Keys, Regina Keys. She's a writer and director right now, and she's doing some incredible, you know, our tribe historical work, theater-wise. Mm -hmm. um, and she was my dance partner. And I say all that to say that we had our first, my first years of competing and starting to perform at 14, 15, right? And we did citywide dance competitions and we won like three years in a row. And so that's where I got my like performer chops up to speed. And then I joined Hubbard Street at 17. So I was right. By the time I got to the company, I knew how to do that thing. Wow. And um, then lo and behold, you know, the company thing was great, but I always knew like I wanted to do more stuff than just dance. So I started taking acting classes when I was, you know, young and all of that. And then cut two, I wanted to bop around. I went to Australia when I was about 25. I'd heard about the Sydney Dance Company. There was a group, a music group called Duran Duran. Yes. Um, that had a track out called Wild Boys and they had a music video and I saw the video and it was the scaffolding and these athletic dancer type people. And I was like, what the fuck is this? Oh my God. Right, right, Come right, to find right. out it was the entire company from Sydney Dance Company. And I was like, what? I'd never known of a dance company that while being a dance company pushed so strongly into the commercial realm. And also that company took the dancer actor thing to the next level in a way that I'd never seen before. And so anyway, I ended up going to Australia on a whim and got a one way ticket, brother. That's, you know what? That's believe, and you know what though? Sometimes and I hear so many stories about that. I had an acting coach in New York City. Her name was Tracy Moore, and she grew up in San Fran. And she moved to New York City in the eighties with 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 I think about twenty five dollars in her pocket and was on a one way bus ticket. And it really just goes to show you that when you bet on yourself and when you believe mm. in your craft and when you believe in honing in and all the things that you're doing, that you know you're sure. going to make it. When you have that that drive, into your point, growing up in Chicago, having that 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 Chicago hustle, you know what I mean? Like you, you, it's just certain things you just can't teach It's either you have it or you don't. But That's the right. one question I did wanted to ask, I know you said, you know, when you were younger, you know, the whole Jackson five thing, 
what was it that that gravitated you towards dancing? What was it that in your mind it said, you know, I want to do that? But it, 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 you know, it's all so fascinating now in retrospect, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and what I'm saying is fascinating is the navigation of God. Mm-hmm. Um, because if I were to look at certain steps of my journey that that preceded me being a dancer, I would say problem, problem, problem. Right. But when I but when we let enough time ride out, and I can now see what I mean by that is I was I my dad um, grew up in the south. Mm-hmm. We used to go to Florida every summer, study karate, me and my brother, Tony. I thought I wanted to do all of high school in Florida. I, I went there when I was a freshman. Mm-hmm. So the stuff had already been happening with me. I was being sexually abused from eight to 13. Mm-hmm. Um, I finally got away from that at 13, which my family didn't know about. All I told them was that I wasn't happy going to school there anymore. And mm-hmm. I wanted to come back home. Right. So. You know, it was the middle of school year. Three months into it, my mom, now peep this, dude, all the steps. Mm-hmm. I come back, middle of school year, my mom runs into, runs in quote in quotations, runs into my eighth grade teacher in the grocery store. She's at Carlton's back. I grew up in the hood. She didn't want me to go to the school in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Talk to my teacher. Can you help? She said, yes, I'll talk to some colleagues. She got in touch with a woman named Diane Brooks. The teacher that met my mom was named Carolyn Curry. I've always said that Carolyn was my first angel. Then she introduced me to my second angel. That was Diane Brooks. Diane run, ran the dance department at a, at Whitney Young Magnet High School. Because it was a magnet school, they had already done all the academic testing. So the only space that they could try to see if they could get me in was through dance. I hadn't, at this point, dude, I had not even talked to anybody about, like, I want to be a dancer or none of that conversation. It was simply a way to get me somewhere better than where I grew up. Lo and behold, so that was that. Somewhere around that time, CBS News is doing an expose on this prodigy named Shauna Goddard. She was the youngest professional dancer in North America. She was 14. Mm-hmm. I was 14. I'm just watching the news. I'm like, oh my God, this young girl is incredible. They interviewed her. Like my little brain is thinking, wow. And she interviews well and she's performing well. Whatever. That's the news. Cut to I'm now got into the school because Carolyn Curry and, and Diane Brooks worked with me. Did my audition thing, got into the school. Right. Three months into it, got into the dance department. They do a Saturday outing Mm. to go see a dance company. I had completely forgotten about what I saw on the news. Lights go down, curtain fly. Curtain flies the first person on the stage. It's that girl. And I realized, oh shit, this is from the news. Mm -hmm. This is that girl from the news. And I was caught. That seat, that Saturday afternoon when I was 14, watching Shauna in Hubbard Street, was the moment I said, this is what I want to do. I want to dance with that girl. I want to dance in this company. That's when the moment was that I quantifiably said, this is what I want for my life. 
And it's in this one of those things that was meant to happen. You coming back from Florida, you know, back to Chicago, and your mom running into an educator. You know what I mean? Dude, it's all man. those things. So all, all the those depths. The fact that I was supposed to, go, I was supposed to go to Florida. Oh, and it wasn't supposed to work out. All of that, right? Right. It mm-hmm. was supposed to be a busted up arrangement over there, even though I thought that's what I wanted. That's what delayed the school system. That's what pushed my mom to have the side conversation. It's crazy what God does. That's yeah. my life. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Now, you said you, you know, obviously you went to Australia with the Duran Duran and everything, but you mentioned in Strike a Pose that you had a message on your answering machine from the one and only Madonna in regards to the idea of getting the potentially as far as, you know, the, the, the like, was it tryouts, whatever it was, you know, for the Blonde Ambition Tour. So number one, how does she find your number? And talk about the audition process for the Blonde Ambition Tour. Yeah, sure. So it was, it was for the Blonde Ambition Tour, it was a street call. So it was just stuff that was like in the newspaper. There were some agents that knew of it. Mm-hmm. I got the call from my agents. Okay. Um, at the time I was with Julie McDonald. Um, and yeah, so I went to the audition. The first audition round went good, like regular studio thing. Mm-hmm. It was a call for only guys. It was gridlock around the sh- corner of the street, the studio mm-hmm. that we're at, Alley Cat Studios. And uh, made the call through that and then made it home. By the time I got home, I had a voicemail. Hi, Carlton, it's Madonna. Wow. I'm going to be at a club. I would love for you to meet me there. But that's all I knew. I didn't know if it was another. uh, I didn't know what it was other than she said, meet her at the club. Right. So I did. And when I got there, there were the other guys that had made it down to the cut to the last cut when I was in the studio. And we literally just hung, we hung, we drank, we danced, we partied for several hours. And that was that there was no conversation much about the tour. It was just hang. And she's smart that way. So that's how she got to test out who we are and, and got to see how we hold our liquor and what we become when there's energy around and how do we navigate being around her? When How do you handle sit- it? How do you handle the pressure and all those things? I've been in those situations before where right. I was in an, I was at a, um, a, a, an acting coach, God rest his soul, Dustin Felder. He did a pop-up class in Philly a few years ago. And there was a celebrity that just showed up. Sure. And he, in, but again, he didn't, he didn't even make the person known or whatever the case. And after the fact, he was like, you know, hey, this is such and such. And everyone was like, mm. and I was, I was just calm. I was cool. I was cool. Cool hand Luke. Right. And then he was like, you know, hey, I was just wanting to test to see who was a, who was prepared because he was asking who had their headshots and who, you know, who had your headshot and resume. I was one of three people that did out of like 15. Wow. And the, and again, goes, it really goes to show you as far as when you're around that environment, Who's who and who's not. So I totally get Absolutely. so so that was that was probably the method of her madness of trying to see, you know, when you're in that pressure situation, you're on tour with her, you know. 
hey, how are you? How are you especially really going to be then, again? Like, because you have to think about, it, especially when I was on the road with her, in regards to her being single, yeah, her not having kids. So the access, the friskiness, the playfulness, mm-hmm. you know. Now I know dancers that have been on the road with her, and they're not going out to clubs and doing all that, like Shane Clubbing. You know what I mean? Right. So it was extra, extra important for her to know how we handle those kind of moments. Gotcha. Now, so anyway, so yeah, man, I that uh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was gonna, I, I was gonna ask in regards to once you made, once you, I guess, when did you know when you finally made the cut and say, okay, you're now going to be a part of the cast for the Blind Ambition tour. So there was a day three. Okay. So we had the audition day, then, mm-hmm. or I guess it was, I guess it was two days because the, the audition day. The phone call to meet her at the club was the same night, mm-hmm. right? So then we did that. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the club night, she said um, she was going to be, she wanted us to meet her at this hip hop class that she was going to take on Sunday at 10 o'clock in the morning, whatever. So we meet it for this hip hop class. Mm-hmm. Come to find out that was Oliver's class. Oliver ended up being one of the guys. Okay. And I don't know how they already knew each other or whatever. I don't really know about that, but it was amazing to me because I thought she was going to be at a class that we would be taking, meaning she would watch us in the class. Right. She, we were all going to take a hip hop class together. So that was just amazing to realize, oh shit, like she's standing in the room and we're literally just taking class together. So to see her in the process of like, wait, how do you do this step? And like learning it the same way that we learn it at the exact same time was really amazing. And then at the end of that class, I remember I had my wild dreads at the time and Mm -hmm. I was at the mirror changing my shirt, taking my shirt off. And she walked up and was like, hey, and blah, 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 blah. So, you know, it was fun and like all that. So what do you think about going on the road? So she threw the offer out to me herself right after class at the mirror. And I was wow. like, oh, wow. Okay, well, yeah, sounds cool, blah, blah, blah. And uh, that's how I got the thing. Yeah. Incredible. <laughs> that's, that, that's, I mean, that, that it's, man, that's, that's amazing. So now that you're, you know, you're a part of the cast, it's seven of you, and now rehearsals begin. I've yeah. heard stories, you know, I've heard so many stories in regards to rehearsal days with her. She is a workaholic. Not stop. She's a perfectionist. All those other things. Take me through it in regards to what some of those daily rehearsals are like. Getting ready for the launch of the Blind Ambition tour. Well, I'm pausing because I think it's interesting how you know the frame that you gave it. You know that often people do. I don't know that I would say she's a workaholic. Mm-hmm. I said she cares about excellence. Right. Right. Yes, indeed. Just like any highbrow brand. Mm-hmm. There's a certain degree of attention that you want something and and detail to it that you want to make sure is there and like so that's really all it is. Mm-hmm. So I just want to be careful of the words because if you say like workaholic, then that skews it a bit more to the negative and that ain't what it was. Oh no 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 no, and I made that no and no negative connotation at all. Just more or less of the fact of the. I don't think working. that you did. I just think right. that those words mm-hmm. can come off that way. So. I just want to clean that up from my side. I didn't view that she was a workaholic. Right. 
I view that we were just doing the job to do a high quality job. Yes, indeed. Got it. Yeah. Got it. And so what it looked like, you know, we, you know, we had our days, our daytimes were 10 to five in the okay. studio. Learning numbers, just learning numbers. And then we would take a dinner break and then we had run throughs from starting at seven from seven to 10. I'm sorry, from seven to nine. We did notes from nine to 10. We did another run through from 10 to midnight. Okay. That's what we did. And so it was like full stop. Then we got into the tech rehearsals once we were like three weeks out. So we were in the studio for six weeks. Okay. With that 10 to five schedule. Then we moved over into the sound stage. And then that's when we did all of our techs. And that was our tech rehearsals were done. For three weeks, we had tech rehearsals in full makeup, mm -hmm. full costume, every run. And that was really phenomenal, different next level to watch how detailed and intricately she was involved in that process. That was a moment when I remember going like, oh, shit, she ain't playing. Like, we would literally do like the one little. And of course, I had already done run throughs with the dance company and tech rehearsals with a dance company right but there was a different level of it and the way she worked on lighting and d and the fact that we had makeup done every time okay and so her camera her lighting cues were to camera for the whole thing you're not just doing a run through tech rehearsal for a live show meaning just the staging and the lighting cues you're doing staging and lighting cues to register for the live event and also for the camera moments that are blowing us up on the screens right here so that was the level of detail of how she's looking at where the light and so your makeup's got to look right from the lighting cue that they design that can read big enough to hit over there but also registers proper on the screen yeah it was no joke and it's all about here he's all about here and absolutely. you're projecting to all about the face all absolutely about the face. Mm -hmm. yeah totally now besides you know the performing aspect of everything is um what did you enjoy most about being around madonna in regards to just the cre just the creativity and everything else that comes along with that access mm-hmm Access is what I enjoyed the most. To be able to be up and close, up close and personal to someone, and this is a tribute to her, you know, to someone that let themselves be so available. You know, to really just like be up in the room and chill with us. I, you know, I was saying today, because I just recently came back from today, I was on the picket lines for the strike, for the mm -hmm. SAG after strike. Right talking to some other talent and they're also the writers were there. And so we're chiming in and I was just saying, you know, it's really amazing to work with her because at the end of the day, for as prominent as she is in the world, when you really know her and get to spend time with her, really her vibe is like, she's like an underground artist, East village chick that just so happens to have a right team that has the right kind of level that can access certain doors and the pockets are deep. 
but who she'd be is just like a regular chick that hangs. So to have access to that and to be able to watch that and to see how somebody so big, but then so like regular chills and when they flip it on and when they turn it off. Right. What entices them and what gets them super excited as new information and what doesn't and how do they turn down information and give a new direction like to be able to just see that loosely was amazing amazing best training best training that still guides me today and that was and that was gonna that was gonna be my uh, my next follow up question is that what were some of those values and principles that you learned then that you actually apply today? Well, let me say this. In all fairness, what really ripened me and primed me to do the Madonna game as well as I did it was the relationship and the partnership that I had with Lou Conti who was the artistic director of Hubbard Street mm-hmm. Dance Company, where I started when I was 17. When I joined the company, it was mainly a jazz company, like a jazz contemporary company. Everybody was classically trained. And Lou had come from the musical theater world, but he was a stickler for detail. Mm-hmm. He was known in the dance global community for having an ensemble of people, especially the dance the dancers that he had at the time, because Lou was really great with hiring very pedestrian looking dancers. Like not everybody had the same shape or size or whatever, whatever, but he got them to dance in the most unison way. It was always written up about how clean the company was. And Lou used to talk about pictures. So that, and he was also very intense. So, Blending all that together. And then by the time I got to her and the micro way that she sculpts things and has you acutely aware, that was one of the first things that I was really aware that I was getting from her was an amplification and a confirmation that what I already knew, I knew very well. And I got to take it to the next level. So that was one of the things. Also, I would say, um, you know, just the message I think that she's known for, which is freedom of self. Right. That was absolutely, again, fucking amazing to be like up close and watch somebody, be, you know, in the moments of chilling and then eating and then going shopping together and then partying in a club and then holding interviews and then being on the stage and then being and to watch them be so authentically 100 who they are was like you were like a sponge and your head was exploded because mm. you're like wow this is fucking like amazing it's amazing so that's what i learned you know and that's what got you know, again, it wasn't like for me, it wasn't like a learning that was like brand new out of nowhere, but it was like a learning that was tightening the screws Ooh. on. Mm-hmm. Got right. It. And um, and yes, I mean, I had not ever experienced somebody so rawly themselves before. That was new as like a big personality. Right. I may have known them folks in the hood and in the you know, on the street. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Right, right, right. Somebody call it a boss. 
um, I'd never, I'd, I'd never experienced that. So th those are things that I most learned. Um, and also, and also how to not take yourself so seriously. That was something that I learned from her for sure. As you gotta be all that. Right. And you gotta represent that. And what the fuck? Exactly. At, at the same time. Right. And I think, and that's where I think the balance comes into play. You know what I mean? Of knowing when Absolutely. to know when to turn that light off and to, when to turn it on. Totally understand. Yes. Sir. yes. And to your point, to thank you for bringing that up because what's powerful about that that I watch myself create now is when I'm building my own projects, mm -hmm. how I vet people to make sure that we can be in that unit that can be crazy and loud and stupid over lunch. Right. And then, and now we're in the room and follow what I say and, and, and make this solid. And, you know, so you know what your roles are. It's fun, crazy role. And then you lock into your A game and then you break it all off and you lock into your A game. She did that. And I learned how to cast that kind of person for my own projects and my own things that I'm building, even if it's not a performer, even if it's a designer that's doing art direction for me or, you know, designing one of my books or the cover or my artwork. There's a way of knowing how to bring in somebody that can be familial and also super adept at the same time. That blend is what she's excellent at. Got it. Got it. This episode of the DLU podcast is brought to you by Goalie Nutrition. As someone who's used Goalie for quite some time, I can tell you that they're not only very good, but they're very beneficial. My favorite are the Super Green Gummies. The Super Green Gummies are uniquely crafted with a spectrum of essential nutrients such as vitamins A, B12, folic acid, and theamine. It supports a healthy liver function, healthy nervous and immune system, digestive health, a boost to your metabolism, and overall health and well-being. There are no artificial sweeteners, flavors, or colors from artificial sources. They're vegan-friendly, gluten-free, and gelatin-free. All loyal listeners of the DLU podcast get a special 10% discount at checkout. Go to Goalie.com, use promo code D-L-E-W. That's Goalie.com, use promo code D-L-E-W. Let's talk about... Nikki Harris and Donna Delore for just a second. Her background singers. Oh, the ladies. Yeah. The ladies who lunch. <laughs> <laughs> and and anybody, like I said, anyone in the Madonna community knows that these these two legendary uh, figures, you know, were were lock and step with her, you know, for many tours. And what was your relationship with those two? Well, Nikki Harris. <laughs> It's one of my hang buddies on the road. She and I were stealing shit from almost every high-end hotel we ever stayed at. You know what? Edit <laughs> that out. Don't you dare. No, it's true. <laughs> she was my girl on the road. Like, I mean, I was always very, I've always been, I've never really wanted to, just throughout my life, I've always been interested in sort of broader than just the way that most people think about me. So when I was on the road, I barely ever really hung out with dancers. I never really wanted to. I didn't find them very interesting. <laughs> I know that's really crazy to say, but like I was interested in people that were, that could give my brain and my soul some bigger information. So I mainly hung with the crew. Right. 
And so Nikki being one of the background singers. So she was like my family on the road. You know, we would meet up and have breakfast in each other's rooms and stay up late together. Donna, I didn't spend a lot of personal time with, but Donna's just a dear woman. You know, she was very dear and very non-assuming, non-aggressive, on her game. She's like the, I don't know how to explain it, but she's like a very quiet force, Donna DeLore. Mm. She knows exactly what her lane is. She knows exactly what her role is. She does it. She doesn't push, but she's also not a pushover. She's like one, one, one of the cleanest energies to be on the road with, Donna. Yeah. And so Nikki is still, you know, she's my family. So I'm one of the godfathers to her daughter. Okay. Uh, um, my, my goddaughter's name is uh, Jordan. And um, she just went off to school last year. And so that's who Nikki is to me. And um, she's my ride or die family. Yeah. Oh, good. It's so cool to hear those type of stories, you know, about people that you've um you've traveled with and you and you become family outside of the bubble. You know what I mean? That's the most beautiful sure. thing about the arts, in my opinion, is the fact that the relationships that you build and you could take it to the next level, you know, in so many different ways. But I Nikki have to that way for me, and also Kevin Stay is that way for me. Kevin is my he's a ride or die buddy, buddy, buddy. You know, he's from the Blonde Ambition Tour. Mm-hmm. And um, He's doing all the kinds of incredible things around the world as well. He also lives here in L.A. Mm-hmm. We actually just saw each other maybe like four or five days ago. We went to see Barbie together. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice, so nice, He's nice. definitely, um, we've got each other's back hardcore. He's a lovely man. Yeah. Cool, yeah. cool. Now, one of my favorite performances I've ever seen on television was the 1990 MTV Video Music Awards performance with Madonna and you all doing Vogue. Oh, with all the Edwardian stuff? Yes. That was fun. Because I know you guys are still on tour, if I'm not mistaken. So how were you able to squeeze in all of that time? You know, that was was no lightweight stuff you guys did. Yeah, so my memory of that is that we had not hit the road yet. Okay. Because I remember when we were getting dressed for MTV, I could be off. I smoked a lot of weed. But my point <laughs> is... <laughs> we're live, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I'm just saying that. My memory tells me that I remember getting into the wardrobe and seeing the wardrobe and trying the wardrobe on for the first time. That mm-hmm. Vogue number in that kind of outfit was there, so okay. I don't think we had been on the road yet. Um, I'm looking at the anyway. dates. If I'm not, I'm looking at the dates, and actually the tour was over, so you got you you were in the clear. You were you're absolutely correct. Okay, right. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so yeah, but that was super fun, and that was that was a that was a moment because we that was a moment where we where it's funny because I often say like while we had some big bang moments throughout what all that we did, she didn't give a lot of like dialogue about the impact that we were planning to make. Like she didn't do that. Like when we did truth or dare and we did the documentary, she didn't say, here's what we're intending to do. But when we did the MTV awards, there was a conversation that we all collectively had around the level of killing it that we had to bring. And it was specific, like, it's the MTV Awards, we need to fuck them up. 
It was like that. And off we go. So we had a lot of fun with that. We knew that was a performance where we knew we were going to be doing a next level something. Mm-hmm. And if we got it right, it was going to be something of a big deal. We did know that and talk about that prior. One of the few moments, actually. And so and then it landed and it was super fun to do. And the crowd was crazy when we did it. And, you know, MTV had never had any live show like that before. No, I was because a matter of fact, I was I was about to turn 12 when I saw that. And I'm, you know, big, big I had the biggest crush on him. Why are you going to say on on air that you were 12? I was, I was sweating and running around. What, what? <laughs> okay, so we're doing some ageism shit. Is that what you're doing to me right now? No, 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 no. Ain't no ageism. Wow, you just yeah. threw me under. Listen, you there's there's no such thing. I mean, we're all, we're brothers here. You know, what I mean, we're we're brothers right now. But no, all I'm saying <laughs> is, is that just the creativity that went into that performance. And I was a fan of. Yeah. I've been watching the VMA since its inception. You know what I mean? Gr- being you know growing up in the '80s, being an MTV kid. And just being able to see, you know, the detail in that performance was just like, oh, whoa, like this is crazy. So I really appreciated all that went into it. And you inspired someone like myself to get into the creative space, too. You know what I mean? Because there was there's in other words, with her, there's no limits. Okay, but now I have a question for you. So you've been so drawn to her. And into all this and all that. Are you also a dancer? Did you ever take dance class? Never, never took dance classes. I'm a drum and I'm a drummer. Why am I even I'm- on this interview talking to you right now? <laughs> you ain't even tried to take a dance class, dude. I wish, Meg. You know what? You know what? Here's the thing. I am a record. I am a recording artist. Hello. Yes. Well, you what? Know, we got to. You know, what we got to do. We 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 when we talk offline, we're gonna talk about some dance lessons. That's what we're gonna do. We'll talk. Okay. Often, we'll t- and you have my word on that. We'll talk about possible dance lessons and things of that nature. Because there's some things I do want to do, and we'll talk about some things offline for okay, sure. Fair. But okay, but fair. but it, like I said, it, it was truly amazing to see and and just watch the, just the performance. Just like you, something you've never seen before, and it's still talked about today. It's still talked about when you talk about the the iconic performances at the MTV Video Music Awards. That performance is, is up there on the top of the list. Now you you talked you talked about truth or dare, and this is kind of the the theme of this um of this podcast here, talking about just that era and everything. Did you know that the documentary was going to be filmed while you were auditioning, or when you first heard about you know the possibility of the tour and everything? Did you no did- no 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 no? So the documentary didn't even get introduced to anybody until after we were cast. Got it. Yeah, shortly after we were cast. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And that was cool for me. Like, I didn't have any problem with that. Again, I had already been public and had traveled around and done media. So I knew how to manage media. Mm-hmm. And so I I had no problem with it at all. Yeah. Got it. I actually thought it was fun having the cameras around. That's what I was going to be my next question as far as like the, the cameras around and everything. Because every, every, t- every waking moment you're there. But I get Dude, it. Dude, listen. Listen. We're all highbrow performers with big ass egos. Everybody wants a camera on them. That's how fun it was. Got it. Imagine we're all performers. Everybody wants to be seen. And now here you go. (laughs) Got it. Now, once the film did come out, though, 
Did mm-hmm. you think that you would ha- that you would be such an inspiration to many? Well, that part, um, no. I mean, when the movie came out, mm-hmm. I think everybody was just excited for the movie to come out and for people to see us doing right. what we do. The thought of like what level of landing it would have nobody saw that coming nobody saw that coming i mean for what that tour turned into and what that show turned into you know being such a sort of phenom of an experience in the entertainment world nobody saw that she didn't even see that and she speaks about that very honestly now you know she's like that's one of those that you can't ever predict Predict something that true it's that at that level, yeah. Because, like I said, I'm when grateful. I saw, because again, anytime that I I watch it, you know, whether it's on a streaming, you know, street, you know, streaming service or anything like that, and I just look at just what it was truly about. It went deeper than just the tour, you know what I'm saying? And it really highlighted you guys, the dancers especially, you know, just the just the camaraderie, you know, with you guys and you seven. And that was going to be part of my, that was going to be my next question is talk about. I know you said you didn't really hear. I have another question for you. Hang on a second, because every time I do these things, I get so intrigued by the people that have the questions. So I want to ask you, Mm -hmm. as a as another brother, because I actually I think this. I'm really thinking this through. I think this is a big deal conversation for. There aren't many brothers that are interested in this, right? So what was it for you? that had you so drawn to her back then? And what was the message that you got from the show and the tour? Sure. That's what I want to know. So I saw how I became a fan was I was six and I saw Like a Virgin. I saw the music video mm. and I fell and I fell in love. I said, I'm going to marry her someday. Literally, I said it wow. when, I was, when I was a little kid because... I don't know if it was the wedding dress, so if it was the it was you know, her in Venice and all that stuff, but I was just like, oh my god, I have never seen such a beautiful woman in my entire life. I was six years old. Wow. I mean, so did I get made fun of? Yeah, you know what I mean. Have I? I've had you know. Girl, I mean, I'll put you this way: I turned one of my girlfriends into a Madonna fan one time, so it's no big deal. But as for me, as an African American male, was it easy? Hell no. And I'm a street first... male. And a street. Absolutely. I mean, it's crazy, I'm, right? and, and it's crazy because in the what's crazy though is that in the community, everyone knows. Like as far as like the fa- like the fandom and everything, everyone. But mo- I would say most of the, the the diehards that go to multiple shows, they don't know who I am. They know who I am as a human being. You know who, how I am when I'm when I'm when we're all together hanging out. You know I'm joking around. I'm hanging. They know I'm. Right. It's more than just okay. He okay. He's more than just a fan. He has all these other different interests that's going on and stuff. But to the core, who I am, yeah, I'm a huge fan. And for me, with the movie, the the message that I got from the movie is yes. that it's okay to truly be yourself, no matter the circumstances, no matter what it is. And Oliver, his role in everything mm. was what drew me because i'm just like okay mm. how is he going how is as far as how he dealt with with his with as far as you six you know what i'm saying True. and True. that taught me people are people no matter what no matter what it is they're human beings 
and you treat them as such. And anyone that- for you, D. Mm-hmm. And had you up until then yourself spent much time around gay people in real life or yes or no? No, I haven't because it was, you figure it was me and you figure when I was out playing football with my friends and stuff like that. But when I got into the drum and bugle core activity and there were, mm. and I was, you, when I got into the drum core activity, the pageantry, the arts, and there were males in the color guard, you know what I'm saying? That, that were gay. And it was, you know what? I had conversations with them about banking, about sports, about all this stuff. So it was like, I don't even care. Like what people do in their private lives, it doesn't matter to me. It's all about who you are as a human being. It's all is who you are as a person and what you can contribute to the world. That's yeah. always been my thing. I've never looked at a person and I have a track record to prove it. You know what I mean, it's like I'm when it comes to me and treating and you're treating people fairly. Right. Because hey, I put you this way, we as black people, we've been ostracized in so many Come different ways and, and uh, generations before us. You know yeah. what I mean? Absolutely. So, it's like for me, it's so like well, <laughs> right. So I said, why am I gonna why am I gonna ostracize someone because of their their of their set life choice or whatever the case may be? Because the end of the day, they're not doing anything wrong. They're not causing they're not causing a ruckus or anything like that. So in my mind, when I saw you know when I saw Truth or Dare, when I was when I was really sat down and just just watched it and paid attention, I said, okay, and. That opened my eyes to. And you were twelve again. I was. I, you figured that was in ninety one. That Truth or Dare came out. You figured HBO when it came out later on or whatever the case. But I was like twelve, thirteen when I saw it, and it was just like, okay, wow. And you, it went deeper. It, in other words, yeah, I knew the music and the songs and all this other stuff. Your solo with um, Oh Father. You know, what I mean, I remember that. But right, it was deeper than just the music, and it just made me appreciate her more as an artist. That she that she provided a really good opportunity for for a lot of people from sure. all walks of life from around, from around the country. You know what I mean? So we not look, you know, talk about Slam and and, and Jose and Luis and your everything, your Gabriel Garcia. So you know, all you guys, and it just you guys, it, it it was just the what you all were able to accomplish together. You know what I mean? To for the common good of of creating a great show. That's what really sold me. Mm. And I'm just like, hey, man. And that's why I, you know, I, I couldn't wait to see Strike a Pose. And that was going to be uh, my next question in regards to when the producers contacted you about, you mm-hmm. know, the documentary of doing Strike a Pose. What was the process like? And, you know, were you ready to, okay, let's revisit this part of my life again? Oh, uh, yeah, it was a super straight up thing. They sent out a message on Facebook, like a deep DM and mm-hmm. they basically said, you know, we have been following your careers for seven years unbeknownst to you is what we got. Wow. Conceiving this idea of doing this other project. Okay. And they were very specific in that one email on Facebook that they wanted to be honoring the dancer's voice and they had already done what they needed to do and didn't need clearance from her and didn't know that. And that they were going to be coming to the U.S. because they're both from Amsterdam. And that's Amsterdam, Esther right. Gold and the Wires Juan. So Ryer is really the person that spearheaded Strike a Pose. Got it. He's a gay dude. He'd been watching us since we were young. I, he, at the time, was a political reporter mm-hmm. in Holland. Okay. 
And I guess he had just been aware that people online had been asking questions about the guys. And he was like, I think this could be a fascinating thing. He reached out to Esther, who's been a documentarian there, doing very highbrow things. They partnered up. They sent the message. They said that they would be coming over to America in about three weeks. And they wanted to meet each one, and they would further pitch the concept. And I was the first person that they met with. They came to L.A. They, we met in a play, in a neighborhood called Silver Lake over breakfast. Mm-hmm. Five minutes in, there were such awesome people. It was so clear. They were so on their shit. And I was like, done. And so they used the leverage of me first saying yes to then get the other guys. Wow. And then it dropped in 2017. Yeah, yeah. I think in a, a worldwide, because like I said, I saw it at the Tribeca Film Festival in 2016. Right. That was the US premiere. Yes. And when yeah. I first got, when I got wind about it, I said, I need to see this. And I didn't even realize you two, you guys were going to be there. You know what I mean? I was just going to see it on the strength of. Oh, wow. Yeah, there was a few um, friends of mine in the activity. Shout out to uh, Angel and uh, Michelle, um, my people out in, um, in New York. They're, um, again, a little older than me, but they're they're huge fans too. So they're like, are you coming? I'm like, yeah, I'll be there. I'll be there. And when I found out that you guys were going to be there, I said, oh, this is going to be so cool. And just. That was a good night. I tried yeah, to- it really was. Uh, the yeah. first thing I said, I said, Luis is so funny. <laughs> he's hilarious. Just oh, really? He's, he's such a jokester. <laughs> I really, he was, he was so cool. But all you guys were, but just seeing and just you guys telling your individual stories prior to the tour and, you know, during and then after and all the things that transpired, you know, it was, it was such an inspiring documentary that um, it's, it's um streaming now. And, um, is on, on streaming apps and everything. So for those mm-hmm. that haven't seen it, I definitely encourage you to uh, watch Strike a Pose. It, it's, it's an inspiring documentary. I definitely encourage you. If you want to know, if you want to truly see the human spirit in, in regards to chasing your dreams, achieving mm-hmm. them, definitely see this documentary. Reuniting with... Thank you, sir. No, you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome, man. You're welcome. Reading, reuniting with your brothers. You know... Um, yeah. Kevin, you know, Luis, Jose, Slam, Nolly. What was that like for you coming that home again? That was super cool, actually. Definitely, again, in retrospect, it was way more special than I. It exposed to me that I had bigger feelings for all of them that I wasn't present to. Mm, like it. once we actually had the the day that we filmed the reunion whenever everybody was together in the restaurant. Right, 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 right. That was just like super cool. Because some of the guys I hadn't talked to since we did the tour. Oh, wow. Yeah. Slam, Jose, hadn't talked to them at all. Maybe Oliver and I had talked once. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it was definitely like, wow, this is a real brotherhood. And, you know, it was interesting because we, even when we were doing the movie traveling around during our junkets and stuff like that. And, you know, because some of us have different stories from our time with her. Some of them involved lawsuits. Some of us mm. did not involve lawsuits. Right. So there are people, you know, uh, that had opinions about that. And when we were doing some of the interviews together and some folks would try to push up on some of the issues that the other dudes were involved in, and it was very interesting to see how guarded and protective I was. It's like, no, wait a minute. Even though I didn't necessarily agree with 
some choices that they made, meaning my boys, you also don't get to come for my boys. Right. So stay in your fucking lane. You don't know the whole story. And don't start telling one. You know, like really. And that's where I was. And I was like, wow, like this is amazing. And I'll tell you a moment that was really important for me. Okay. When we had the world premiere, which was in Berlin Hall in Germany, okay. and we finished the movie, and I was really overwhelmed at the end about the guys. And I realized, and I kind of said this before, but I had really underestimated how powerful they were. You know, at the time, because I was homophobic when we were on the road, mm-hmm. and then in, you know, and all their gay drag and pearls and going to Chanel and all that stuff, which is not my beat. I had a lot of judgment about that when we were on the road, but when I got to see it on the screen through the eyes of how it was told through strike the pose, I was like, these no joke as humans, like God love them for having a freedom that I wasn't even bold enough to produce on my own. Wow. That's what I was left with. Holy shit. They had more going on in them than I had going on in me. That's what this movie told me about them. And bridged me and my heart to them in a way that I had never experienced before. That's what Strike and Pose did for me and the boys. Wow. It's amazing. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. So as we wrap this up, tell the people what it is that, all the things that you're doing now. Obviously, you're in LA doing your thing. I know you with you know all the strike going on with acting and all that stuff. So what are what are some of the things that you're doing today? Yeah, so my world today is is a mix between my entertainment world as a as an actor and performer and what I do as a life coach. You know, I've been now coaching specifically since 09. I have four different activations that I do. My Fierce Alchemist is the newest installment. That's my eight-week deep dive. I've actually got a, I'm, I'm about to drop in the next couple of days a really nice uh, distribution platform that will hold that program for me. And then I have my Dance Formation, which is the first ever movement-based through dance life coaching program. Um, I have my DIY, which is my workbook called I Am Empowered, Igniting Freedom, Courage, and Healing. And I have my Vital Vision program, which is a 30-day, very VIP. You get me on the phone consecutive for 30 days. That's really about prayer and visioning. So, you know, I just recently got back from Italy. I was there in May. I was judging a very high-level ballet competition and doing a workshop there. I was in Thailand in February. I've got a, an episode that's about to drop on Ovation for a travel adventure show called Andiamo Uptown. They go to different destinations, Bahamas, Switzerland, what's the food, what's the hotel? And for some of the episodes, they have a personality. So I get to be the celebrity of this episode in Thailand. So that kind of stuff is happening for me. I'm on the board for a ballet company that had me in Montana. Um, I've also... They took me to China. We were hosted by the government. We're gearing up for a big tour in Cuba next year. So, you know, I'm doing all those things and still performing and all of that in the meantime. So I'm really grateful right now, man, that God 
that the feeling that I had when I was young, that I was supposed to be speaking to people about being in their power and being stronger, that now I see that the universe is pulling me to it. It's not just me going after it. There are people like you that are reaching out to me. And I thank you so much, man, because you perceive that my voice matters in a way. And so getting to have this conversation with you on your podcast, which is incredible that you have it, is a is confirmation of another prayer answered for me, for what I knew when I was eight years old. So this is what I do. And I'm just about right now doing more of it, you know, um, gearing up with my agents. We've got a big pitching cycle for a TV concept that's based loosely on my life that we're going to go do the rounds with starting in September. And so I'm gearing up for that as well. So that's my role. Awesome, man. And where can the people find you on social media? Oh, if you can find me on social media, um, my IG is Carlton Wilborn Rising. If you, I'm not one of those that did very good with syncing up the freaking name so everything's intact. So my IG is Carlton Wilborn Rising. My Facebook is Carlton Wilborn USA. And I guess my Twitter is something like Carlton Wilborn. Yeah. So, but if you put in Carlton Wilborn, Google me, you'll figure it all out. Awesome. Well, Carlton, again, I want to thank you very, very much for um, taking the time, like I said in the beginning of the uh, the interview, you know, for, um, Coming out to the DLU podcast and um, telling your story about your career, you know, the beginning, the middle, and then where you're going and where you're headed. So I thank you very, very much, you know, for your time and um, best wish- best wishes to you and all of your future endeavors for sure. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Well, that does it for this week's edition of the DLU podcast. Again, I want to thank Carlton for stopping by and telling his story. I mean, this is one of the coolest interviews that I've done since the relaunch. This is no joke, and this is no disrespect to any guest that's been on the show. I, I appreciate everyone that comes through these doors, but Carlton's story is a really unique one, and I'm glad he didn't hesitate to come onto the show when I reached out to him. You know, a few weeks back, he said he didn't have any issue coming on the show at all, and, you know, best wishes to him on all of his endeavors, you know, going forward. But before we get out of here, I want you guys to remember to go to my store, shop.darrytlewis.com where you can get you know all of your hoodies and tees um you can also go on my social media so that's everyone known to man okay there's 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 the threads there's x formerly known as twitter there's instagram there's the spill app there's mastodon hive tiktok at the real dt lou facebook is darrett lewis official page make sure you look me up there also Again, I said it in the beginning of the show, and I'll say it again. If you haven't pre-saved my song, Espacion, with Angie Stars, go to my bio on any of my social media. And the first link you'll see, once you click that link, you'll see a link to go pre-save Espacion. You can save it on three platforms. It's Apple Music, Spotify, and Deezer. So make sure you do that. And just remember, no matter what it is you do in life, always remember to make it count. See you next time.